Please join me in prayer. Oh God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And again, welcome to Christ the King. We are wrapping up a sermon series entitled The Mystery of Faith. The mystery of a faith, it refers to a portion of our communion liturgy. We'll say it momentarily. The celebrant will say, we now proclaim the mystery of our faith. And the congregation will say, Christ has died, the past. Christ is risen, the present. Christ will come again, the future. We are at the tail end of this sermon series and addressing the third and final acclamation. Christ is, Christ will come again. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is found on page 903 of the Pew Bible. You can follow along with some sermon notes in the back of your service leaflet. The text from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 does in fact the return of does in fact address the return of Christ and with that our hope for eternity. And there are few things that are more comforting in the face of loss, the loss of a loved one, a parent. Uh, there are few things that are more comforting than the Christian hope. The Christian hope of eternal life is glorious and it is comforting. However, the passage in front of us is not written to comfort. That is not the author's purpose in writing. In fact, the author's purpose is to correct. The church in Corinth, the recipients of this letter, have some misguided thoughts, some misguided ideas, and their misguided ideas and have to do with uh, eternal destiny. And so this letter is written to address that mistake. In the same way, a shepherd will use his staff, will sing, will hear a rendition of Psalm 23 during our offertory. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the rod and the staff of the Lord, they, they do provide comfort, but the rod and the staff also provide correction. And that is what this passage is designed to do. Three points for this morning to guide our thoughts. We're gonna take a step back from this passage and think about, I said this is a correction, so what is being corrected? We're gonna get a sense of the argument uh, and what is being uh, corrected. Secondly, we're gonna see Paul's, the author, the Apostle Paul's, how he corrects them. And then third, we're gonna make a general application, which is, uh, well, I think will be especially appropriate for a baptism Sunday, which today, of course, is. So with that, let's begin. This letter, this portion of this letter is written to address a problem, an error within the church in Corinth. What is that error? Well, if you were to back up a few verses to verse, I think it's verse 12 of chapter 15, this is the error that you will find. Verse 12, chapter 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? And there it is. That's the problem in the church in Corinth. How can you say there is no resurrection? Now, to be clear, the, the author is not talking about the resurrection of Jesus. The author is talking about the future hope of those who trust in Jesus. How can you say that you will not be resurrected? And that is, in fact, what the church in Corinth said. So let me just explain very briefly what the Christian hope is. Here it is. When you and I die, two things will happen. Your body will be placed in the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, for so it was ordained. That is what will happen to our body. But something else will happen to our soul. Our souls we will entrust to God. Again, one of the most comforting things in our sermon and our, our funeral service. 
You know the line, may his soul and the souls of all that are dearly departed by the mercy of God do what? Rest in peace. And so we entrust the soul of the departed to God, that they rest in paradise with the Lord. And for most of us, that's where, our, that's where we stop. Resting in peace doesn't sound bad, but that's not where the Bible ends. The Bible has a much more robust hope for our eternal destiny. And our eternal destiny is that when Christ returns, you and I will rise, those who trusted in him and will rise like he rose. As he was resurrected, we will be resurrected. Uh, the most foundational statement of our, of our faith is the Apostles' Creed that will be affirmed in, uh, during the baptismal service. And the last line of the Apostles' Creed is this, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That's what Christian faith affirms, and that's what the church in Corinth rejected. Do you know the phrase cafeteria Christian? Let me explain. You know what a cafeteria is? A cafeteria is that great restaurant where you get to pick and choose what you eat. I like meatloaf, I'll take some meatloaf. I don't like Brussels sprouts, I'm gonna skip on the Brussels sprouts. There are many options, many, many things that uh, our Christian faith uh, holds fast. Uh, and the church in Corinth was picking and choosing. Right? We like this. We like the fact that Jesus loves us and that God forgives us. But this whole idea that we'll be resurrected, that just seems like a bridge too far. So we're just going to, we like most of it. We just don't like that part. So we're going to skip it. And the Apostle Paul is saying, eh, you can't do that. So that's the problem. Everyone follow. They were, in general, cafeteria Christians. We're going to address the problem of being a cafeteria Christian as we come to a close. But now let's look at how the Apostle Paul says, you just can't pick and choose with your resurrection. You can't pick and choose with the bodily resurrection of those who trust in Christ. So let's look back at our text. Beginning in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised, and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, so also shall man so, so also by a man shall come the resurrection of dead of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in all in Christ shall be made alive, but each in his own order, first Christ and then who believe in him at his at his coming. What the author is saying is that when Christ returns, he will, certain, something certain will happen, and that is that those who have trusted in him will, be, will join him in his resurrection. Just as sin leads to death, as an Adam all die, being in Christ will inevitably lead to the resurrection. This idea of first fruits, everyone in their own order, first Christ and then those who trust in them, that's a term of agriculture. He's saying, the author is saying that Jesus is the first of many to come. Like a, like a farmer would pick an apple and take a bite and say, oh, that's a good apple. That gives you a taste of the, the full harvest to come. Jesus is the first. And we who trust in him will join him when he comes again. So that is the first implication of Christ's return. First thing that will happen is that those who are in Christ will rise as he rose. Got it? Great. Second thing that will happen, the defeat of evil. Follow along with me. Then comes the end, verse 24, when he delivers the kingdom of God after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
First thing, the resurrection of all who trust in him. Second thing that will happen when Christ returns, the final defeat of evil. Rule, powers, and authorities, those are just spiritual things that have rebelled against God, sin, death, and the devil. The final enemy to be destroyed is death. I think the image is very compelling. I find it very moving. It's as if Jesus standing over the grave, the grave of our grave, the grave of the ones we love, and saying, what you have belongs to me. These are mine. You have had them for only a moment. But they are mine, and I will now take them back. The second thing that will happen when Christ returns is the final defeat of all things that stand in opposition to him. Third thing that will happen when Christ returns is the final victory of God. And again, verse 24, Christ will hand over the kingdom to God. All things will be subjected to him. And this last verse 28, God may be all in all. What does that mean? It simply means that God will reign supreme. He will reign supreme in everything, and he will reign supreme in everywhere. One of the great things about the Christian hope for eternity is its comprehensiveness. The trees of the field will clap their hands. There will be no more night. There will be no more sea. He will wipe away every tear. God will reign supreme in everything and in everywhere, and everything will be as it ought to be. And so that is the Christian hope. When Christ returns, three things. The resurrection of all who trust in him. Secondly, the final defeat of evil. And third, the final victory of God. And I, as I began, I stated that the Christian hope is comforting, and it is. There are a few things as comforting as what I have just described. But this passage is not written to comfort, it is written to correct. And what the author seems to be saying is this. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave on Easter morning 2,000 years ago, he was resurrected in the body, he defeated evil, and he rose in triumph. And he set the wheels in motion that will inevitably lead to the resurrection of all who trust in him, to the final and complete victory, and the final and complete triumph of God. To deny our resurrection in the future, the author is saying, is to deny his resurrection in the past. Let me summarize. The church in Corinth were cafeteria Christians. They rejected some aspects of the Christian faith. They like this, they don't like that. This letter corrects that error and states that to deny what will happen to us in the future is not to deny what happened to Christ in the past. And now I want to step back again and just draw a general principle. I think will be applicable, especially on a Sunday of baptism. And the truth of the matter is that you and I are all cafeteria Christians. There are all some parts of the faith that we like, and there are some parts of the faith that we don't like. We like the idea that God is love and he forgives. We may not like the idea that God is just and he is holy. We all pick and choose. The church in Corinth picked and chose as well. And I want to draw some implications for us 
that result from picking and choosing, the result of being a cafeteria Christian. And here is the result. The first result of picking and choosing about the Christian faith is that you and I will eventually become foolish. The problem with the Corinthians' belief that denied the resurrection is it was not true. It did not reflect who you and I actually are. God made you and me, body and soul, wed together. Yes, for a moment we will be separated at death, but what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, and he will set it back in order. God made us a certain way to turn away from it, to turn away from his word, is to enter the path of folly. All sin is ultimately foolish. It cuts against the grain of creation. When Jesus said, whoever would save themselves must lose themselves, he was not giving us a suggestion. It's like he's telling us about gravity. This is the way life is. Ignore it to your peril. Arguing with the words of Jesus is like arguing with gravity. Gravity always wins. The first result of sub-Christian thought, the first result of turning away from God's word, his will, is that you will eventually become fools. Second result is that you will eventually defraud God. You see, here's the problem with the Corinthians' belief that the resurrection didn't occur, that this life was all that there was, is it does not give honor to God. You see, sin, death, and the devil are still our present reality. People still die, sin still reigns or still exists, and evil things still happen. And to suggest that this is the way it is and it will always be does not give credit to the goodness of God or to his power. All sin eventually defrauds God of the glory that is due him. And now let me transition to our baptism. In just a few moments, some parents and godparents are going to confess the foundations of the faith, the, the basic confessions of a Christian and trusting in Jesus and turning away from sin, death, and the devil. You're going to make a basic summary of the, uh, summary of the Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed which includes, by the way, the final statement, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. I want to encourage parents, godparents, I want to encourage us who are renewing our baptismal faith today, don't be a cafeteria Christian. To do so, to pick and choose from the faith once delivered to the saints is to enter the path of folly. Said differently, your happiness and God's holiness go hand in hand. The man or the woman who believes God, trusts his word, adheres to his faith, the man who regards God as holy will live a happy life as well. So embrace the whole of the Christian faith, even the parts, especially the parts that you do not understand. Because the man or the woman who puts into practice the Christian faith expressed in our baptismal covenant will honor God as holy and live a happy and wise life as well.